the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to The Advocate with your host, Nick Phillips. And now, here's your host, Nick Phillips. Good evening, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another edition of The Advocate. Uh, And we're talking about COVID-19 and and how it's still there. And even though we're in early September, we uh, have to stay aware of what's going on and what's around us. Uh, To talk to us uh, again, uh, we have reoccurring and reappearing guest Kevin Brennan from the Cuyahoga County Board of Health. Kevin, thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely, Nick. Thanks again for having me. Your uh, your business has never been busier, uh, going from March on to the present time. It, it's uh, it's all happening. In the news recently, the CDC was indicating to the states that they should plan for distribution of vaccines in early November. Uh, has has that made it to Ohio yet and to the county boards? Uh, I don't know if it's made it to. I know it hasn't made it to our level yet. Um, it may have made it to the governor's. Uh, I think we will find out this afternoon, uh, as Governor DeWine will be addressing uh, everyone this afternoon. So we'll see how that goes. Okay, very I, um, good. But that's incurred. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I would say I, the only thing I would I would say as kind of a caveat to that would be that, you know, there are still clinical trials. Um, being conducted. And I don't know that there was the anticipation that a vaccination would be prepared before 2021. So I think all of us are intrigued to find out um, if that process has been followed and we feel confident that there's been enough vetting uh, of this process or if this could possibly be just, you know, um, I hate to say it, but a politically motivated uh, attempt to try to get a vaccine out before Election Day. So I, I think all of us are a little skeptical at, at first, but again, we're totally open because the, the thing we need is a vaccine. So if, if it can be done in a proper and you know appropriately scientific and clinical way, then we are certainly on board. Well, that takes a lot of willpower to slow down and do it right and not be rushed. Like you say, there's a tremendous amount of political reason why we should uh, get this done quicker uh, rather than later. And uh, also an economic reason why to do that, to get everyone back to going and, and talking to people over the past week. seems everyone I know, uh, they can't wait for this to be over. And Absolutely. the idea of when, the, when this is over, it seems like not only the economy, but everybody will be breaking, breaking out and uh, catching up on all of the social things that they're missing at this point. So, but the good thing is we're all going through this together at the same time. Nobody's really spared having to live through the pandemic. But the uh, the Board of Health is, is here, Cuyahoga County, as always. When we talk, uh, you basically are our source of the science as what's happening with actual numbers and what's happening with actual recommendations as to what we should do. Um, I noticed uh, that. There is a COVID-19 report that the county puts out every every week. Do you guys have any idea how many people actually view that that site? 
Uh, well, it, it's part of our regular website, um, at part of our ccbh.net website. Um, so we are getting thousands and thousands of hits, as you can imagine, during the pandemic. Um, so our, our website is probably, our traffic has increased uh, hundreds of percent um, compared to a normal time. Um, so there are a lot of people who are reading the brief on our website. There are also people who are engaging with it um, over social media. Uh, because we partner with the county executive's office uh, just about every Friday afternoon at 2.30, and the Cuyahoga County's YouTube page and Cuyahoga County's Facebook page um, live stream the, um, the press update. And then also you can see it on um, our Cuyahoga County Board of Health Facebook page. So um, right now, it's, it's, as I say, the county executive, Armin Budish, comes on, um, our health commissioner, Terry Allen, our medical director, Dr. Heidi Gullett, um, our co-director of prevention and wellness, uh, Ramona Brazil. So we usually have a cast of three or four people that kind of just provide their respective updates and try to give everybody a weekly picture of what the current status is of COVID here in Cuyahoga County. Um, the one thing to be mindful of is that, um, you know, the Cleveland Department of Public Health has its own uh, department. So some of the, most of the information that we give you will be pertinent to our jurisdiction and will um, often exclude the city of Cleveland. But again, they have their own website and their own mechanisms to put out their own information as well. Looking at the uh, county report, uh, and, I'm, and by the way, this is uh, our interview now is being taped on Thursday, and I know we're playing this Sunday night. So tomorrow in our real time, the 4th, there'll be another report, which comes out every Friday. But looking at the report for August 28th, it was showing a total cases of 10,689. And then there's a figure down at the bottom that says total presumed recovered, 9,165. So to me, that would mean there's about 1,500 active cases as of uh, last August 28th. Am I reading that correctly? Yes, and that's and that's a little bit of loose math, Nick, um, because as as oh, the, of course. the disclaimer says here, it says you know the presumed recovered. Um, so presumed, but, yeah, operative that, that, word. Correct, correct. But yeah, so approximately fifteen hundred cases active uh, last week. So we'll see what happens on the um, the fourth, and and that'll be available. So for people who are watching, are listening to the show on the sixth. They can go to the line and see what's happening. But 1,500 uh, people and the presumption, what, what do they use to make the presumption? Just the passage of time or or how do they do that? Yeah, typically, you know, after it's really kind of after the contact tracing is done and we and, and we're releasing people from isolation. So there are a lot of a lot of things to that. Um, some people are are um, you know being released from isolation in an appropriate amount of time, meaning that within the 14-day period uh, or the 10-day period, whichever category they fall into, um, they are they are dealing with their symptoms effectively and then returning to their to their regular life. Um, there are there is a percentage of people for whom the symptoms linger and they remain in isolation or they follow up with their primary care provider. So those are some of the reasons why we're presuming that this is a number recovered, because we don't follow every single case from beginning to end. Um, once we finish the contact tracing um, section and, and everyone's apprised of what their requirements are for isolation, then any subsequent follow-up is typically done with their own personal uh, physician or their medical provider. 
Another thing I'm, I'm noting is that uh, on the various charts, there's one chart we have here where the cases are listed by zip code. And on yeah. the 28th, for the first time I've seen, there's an actual number associated with each zip code. Is that the total number of reported cases from the beginning of the pandemic, or is that the current active cases, or what is that number? Um, that number for each zip code on that map represents a cumulative total. So that would be the number that that zip code has um, has reported since the pandemic began, uh, or since actually we've started recording this information in March. So, um, so yes, and again, to remind people, this zip code map that's part of our weekly update indicates where people who have been identified as lab-confirmed and probable cases, they've given their address in some location here in Cuyahoga County. So, if, for instance, if mm -hmm. you look at Lakewood, so Lakewood for that, for last week, we had 518 cases. So 518 people have told us that their home address is in Lakewood. So it does not mm -hmm. at all That's where represent. they reside. Exactly. So it, does, it doesn't uh, indicate where they may have been exposed, where transmission may have occurred. Um, so we just want people to understand that, that this isn't a map that illustrates hot zones of activity. This just shows where people live who have been confirmed or, or, suppose, or, or are probable cases. How, how do people find whether they're in a hot zone or where the hot zones are or how they should avoid it or you know, something that gives them some guidance? Do we have that capability? I don't think we do because we've got community spread. So, you know, we, we've gotten out of the, the mode very early on in the pandemic where we were seeing transmission from person to person, um, you know, or, or within close contact range. More specifically, now with community spread, we have people who, for whom we do contact tracing who say, I've been at home for X amount of time and, uh, you know, I've rarely left my house and now I have COVID. So that just indicates to us that, you know, it doesn't always take that person to person transmission. There is community spread out there. So I think outside of any sort of super spreader events or when we get warnings like in the past, we knew that New York was a difficult place to be, Florida, Texas, Georgia state of Washington. We knew we had warnings at those places because we had a lot of sort of sentinel events that were outbreaking and, and causing alarm. Here in our region, we have just, the, as you and I have talked about, Nick, a lot of accumulation of a lot of small events and interactions among people that are adding up to a large total. Um, so without those really sentinel or super spreader kind of events, we don't really have an indication of where those hot zones may be. I see. We're, we're talking to Kevin Brennan from the Cuyahoga County Board of Health, uh, who's giving us uh, what's turning out to be a monthly update on how Cuyahoga County is doing with regard to dealing with COVID and uh, hopefully always looking for good news uh, to come out of these discussions. But it, it seems like we're moving in somewhat of a positive yet predictable direction. We're going to come back and talk to Terry, ask more questions, or Kevin. We're going to talk more about uh, questions about COVID and what's going on here in Cuyahoga County. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHK, The Advocate. We'll be back after these words. Don't go away. Welcome back, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another segment of The Advocate. We're talking to Kevin Brennan from the Cuyahoga County Board of Health concerning COVID-19 and 
What's the current state of affairs with COVID-19 here in early September 2020? Uh, again, as always, Kevin, thank you so much for joining us. Certainly, Dick. Uh, we're, we're very um, appreciative of the opportunity to provide regular updates for your listeners. So thank you again for having us on. Well, thank you so much, because it's so important, uh, you know, as, as we've mentioned other times, I know politics is having a big influence on what people think about COVID-19. And when I look to the Board of Health, uh, you deal with math, you deal with statistics, you deal with science. So uh, I appreciate being able to talk to somebody free from any political influence who would want to color things one way or the other for whatever political purpose, uh, because uh, the virus and uh, humankind doesn't respond really to politics or, or the Constitution or anything. So uh, basically, we still are talking about masking. We're talking about distancing. We're talking about the traditional ways that viruses are transmitted. And nothing has changed since the beginning of this in March. Is that right, or am I missing something? No, that is correct. I, I know you and I have talked before about what we call in public health non-pharmaceutical interventions, right, things that we can do to take uh, precautions in the absence of any sort of, um, you know, vaccine or antivirals. So as you mentioned, masks, social distancing, cleaning and disinfecting properly, um, you know, health screening, uh, all those things are, are components that, that we want people to be you know, hold true to. Um, because I think one of the things that we saw, Nick, I'd like to just offer a word of caution to people with the holiday coming up this weekend for Labor Day. Um, we want to make sure that people are still being vigilant in social distancing and wearing masks and washing their hands, because what we tended to see um, about a week to two weeks after Fourth of July, we saw a significant spike in cases. Uh, we also saw a significant spike in cases earlier in the summer when the stay-at-home order was lifted and the bars and restaurants were opened. So, um, you know, we are on a we are on what looks to be a very um, promising trend now, where our case counts are going down. Um, it's not the only factor we look at, but that is certainly something that influences the decision making. Um, so, we're very encouraged by what we're seeing. We just hope that people can maintain it and still be vigilant about you know, safeguarding themselves over this weekend so that maybe, you know, a week to 10 days from now, we don't see a, another outbreak of cases. Well, we talked in the last break about uh, hotspots and knowing about hotspots. Uh, I'm thinking in terms of individual responsibility, we all have to know what a hotspot is and to be able to recognize it. I think, for example, if we want to go out and socialize with another couple, and we're looking at going out to a restaurant or a bar, there are basically two kinds of places we can go. One place, let's say if you walk into it, place is packed, nobody's wearing a mask, and they're all huddled up near the bar and all close together. That would be a place that would be high risk. On the other hand, a place that has social distancing, you're spread out in a wide patio, that would be much lower risk, much safer. Uh, is, is that fairly accurate? That's correct. I, I know when, when bars and restaurants reopened in the spring or early summer, uh, we as, a, as an agency were providing guidance to facilities all across the county as to how they could safely operate and making sure that their tables were spaced apart and they weren't you know, having people too close together. That waiting areas, uh, as, as far as people 
maybe exiting from a bar into a, an eating area or people waiting outside to come into a building, that they were properly social distanced. Make sure that there are stanchions for hand sanitizer so that people can clean and disinfect. Um, one of the things that we've seen, which is encouraging in some establishments, um, if people don't have masks, um, some of the establishments have been offering them uh, masks free of charge, or they may charge them a nominal fee, like $1, and then we've seen that money um, be donated to a charity. So, you know, it's a cooperative effort between the patrons and the operators. I think everybody's trying to do the right thing. I think the difficult thing is that, you know, a lot of businesses are, are frankly trying to recoup some of the money they lost while they were closed. And I think, you know, we certainly don't begrudge them that opportunity at all. Uh, we just want to make sure that people are conducting themselves in a safe manner so that we're not risking anybody's personal health or well-being uh, for the sake of making a little more money. Are, are we still or are we yet on the same page with regard to masking? Uh, I know that when we talked early on, the idea of uh, dealing with a virus that is a novel virus, meaning we have no immunity for it, one of the best things to do is to put barriers between us and other people. This still passes human to human, and we still have to talk to humans. So we put these barriers up like masks. Masking at one time, and I don't know if it still is, was a tremendous political issue when people felt that they had a constitutional right to defy the virus and not wear a mask. Are we getting any better with that? Are more people masking now? Well, I think it's difficult to say because we're not, you know, we're not out in the community doing surveillance for that particular reason. But I think anecdotally, um, we're seeing more people wear masks. Um, I think that may be reflected in the fact that we're seeing the case counts go down. Uh, you know, and, and I think in terms of the political angle about wearing masks, Nick, I think from the Board of Health perspective, we try to be apolitical, meaning that, as you had mentioned before, we just want to provide you the best medical and scientific advice we can to help you stay well. And we know it, it, it's, it's, it's absolutely been verified, you know, through a number of studies that, you know, masks are an effective tool to reduce spread. So we would just encourage people to, to participate because I think the, the other thing is the longer that we become somewhat or we remain somewhat fractured in our attempt to, uh, you know, minimize the virus here. And if not, everybody's not on board, it's going to linger and it's going to take longer for it to go away. I think the governor has stated this many times, um, you know, so we, we are just in favor of everybody doing all they can to, to try to participate so we can have this go away as quickly as possible. Going back to the county uh, webpage, uh, I was looking mm -hmm. at another interesting demographic uh, display that you have, barcode showing the different distribution of the uh, cases based upon age group. And it was somewhat surprising to me to see that uh, the safest age groups, or at least the lowest percentages of infection, are in people over 80 and people in the 70 to 79 year brackets. They're at the lowest of about 8% of the total. And then I look down, the younger people get, the more they're infected. The highest infection group, at least of the, as of the 28th of August, was the 20 to 29 group. That 22% of the cases are people who are 20 to 29. And then the next largest group, 16%, 30 to 39. So clearly mm -hmm. amongst the younger people, we're looking at something. We're looking at... 38% uh, of all new cases are in that 20 to 40 age group. 
And uh, it'll be interesting to watch as we go through the weeks and go over the uh, Labor Day weekend, how those uh, figures change at all. But uh, what do we need to do to get through to the younger people that this is something that's still serious, not only for them, but for other people? Well, you know, and that's been very difficult. I think to a large degree, um, some young people are getting mixed messages um, just in terms of schools, right? I mean, it was our recommendation that schools engage in remote learning and postpone in-person learning um, and also do the same with extracurricular activities. Um, but then we see schools that some are adhering to that, some are not. Some are bringing in kids for extracurricular activities. Some are saying, let's go forward with full-contact sports, such as football. Um, and now we are seeing cases arise from that. So I, I don't know that the messaging is consistent um, for that age group. And I also think it's just the nature of the beast. Uh, Nick, you remember, you know, those days ago when you and I were both young, you know, everybody thinks they're invincible, right? And we're going to live forever. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, and we and we also early on, you know, again, the dynamic of this early on is that it was an older person's disease because we saw so much prevalence in long-term care facilities and among those older populations. So, um, but as I mentioned earlier, after that shift, when the stay-at-home order was lifted and the bars and restaurants opened, that's when we saw that percentage of cases in that age group that we referred to, that 20 to 29-year-old, it grew very significantly. I can't remember off the top of my head what it was prior to the stay-at-home order being lifted, but it steadily grew to become, as you mentioned, the the um, you know the highest concentration of cases in a particular age group that we have right now. Well, I see that, and we'll keep watching it weekly. It's a, it's a good display. I think everyone should uh, take time, if they have a computer, go out and check out the Kaga County COVID-19 report that comes out every Friday. It's online. And if you're a number cruncher, or at least like to look at the products of those who do crunch numbers, that's the thing to do. Uh, in the meantime, I think we should have some pride in knocking down these COVID numbers. And uh, to do that, we, uh, we need to do the mask, do the hands, do the distancing, and uh, also do the wiping. And anything else we need to do there, uh, Kevin? And stay well, healthy. and I think... I I think maybe we can all think good thoughts. As we mentioned earlier, you know, this vaccine would be very promising. I just hope it's the right thing at the right time. But, you know, we're, we're so uh, patiently waiting for, the, for that to come true. Well, I agree. Well, Kevin Brennan from the Cuyahoga County Board of Health, thank you for joining us, and we'll talk to you again next month. Thank you, Nick. Appreciate the time. You're, you're quite welcome. We'll take a short break. We'll be back after these words. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHK, The Advocate. We'll be right back. Welcome back, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another segment of The Advocate. And the, uh, the next two segments, we're going to be talking to uh, Cuyahoga County Council Member Nan Baker, who comes with us once a month and tells us what's going on in Cuyahoga County. And the big story always uh, since March has been COVID. So, uh, Nan, thank you for joining us, as always. Absolutely. It's always a pleasure to have an opportunity to uh, give you updates on what the county is doing, especially as it relates to the COVID-19 that has consumed all of our lives. Oh, my, it certainly has. And, uh, you know, since we talked with you last time, uh, we are now getting more specific numbers coming from the Board of Health going to the, uh, applying to how many cases we have in the cities by zip code. Uh, how, how is that right. coming? 
I'm really pleased um, to say since I've talked to you last, uh, we do have, per the Cuyahoga County Board of Health, uh, they put out, for those that are listening, uh, they put out a Friday report and have been doing that actually since March or April of this year. And so the numbers trend back all the way till then, up till now. But um, I have always been concerned that the number of cases has been an accumulative total and not specific. So I've been asking the uh, director of the Board of Health to specifically give us numbers per city. And then based on those numbers, we can then track how many we're getting perhaps per week. And that gives us a level of understanding of what's going on in our city. So we did, thankfully, uh, last week was our first week of having it per city. That report is dated August 28th. And then we've got one week later, which ended September 4th, this, this past Friday. And if you were to analyze those two numbers, you would be able to come up with how many cases currently are in your city. And uh, I think that that's a number that in some cases they give you some pause and in other cases give you a little relief to know that um, things are, are going well in your city. So um, that I thought was an important piece of information that uh, we needed to make sure that our citizens who have access to this, all they have to do is go to the Cuyahoga County Board of Health website and they would be able to drill down and find these numbers relatively easily. Um, that that is so good. Well, thank yes. you for, uh, for for pushing that and getting that because I think it's very important. You know, uh, for all of us, there is no more important of a community than the community we live in. And all the other communities are okay, but the one we live in is most important. And uh, we can go to this website now with the County Board of Health and get those numbers. I, I took a look at some of the numbers just to see what happened between last week and this week. And North Royalton yes. went from 306 cases going back to March to now 327, which was an increase of 21 cases, which shows in one week an increase of about 6%. Uh, and that's not counting the cases that are presumed recovered, because I think the State Board of Health will assume that people recovered after two weeks of uh, passing right. through the virus. So uh, actually, the numbers are still there, but uh, we still need to do work, and we can measure how successful we are by these weekly numbers, can we not? Right. We can. And, you know, the important thing, as you just uh, said, is that total number of cases going back from March, well, many of those people have recovered. I mean, in fact, 99, almost almost 100%. We, of course, there are um, a few deaths, I'm very unfortunate, but overall, they have all recovered. So to count them as part of your city total doesn't really give you what's going on in your city today. And that was really what I thought was important. I think in North Royalton, uh, we're looking at maybe, if I, my memory is right, maybe uh, 12 uh, new cases that you know were found between last week and this week. And when you when you think about the recovery period of two weeks, there may be an extra week in there of a few more cases, but overall, those people either recovered are quarantined 
or they did not survive it. I mean, those are that's what those are that's what those cases tell you. But the new cases is what is most important, and knowing what's going on in your city today. Uh, I think that is a number that we all need to pay attention to. And as I said, in some cities, you would be pleasantly surprised, and in others, you may be a little alarmed. So it's really when you step out your front door, as I've always said, what are you stepping out into, and do you have an understanding when you go to your local supermarket or your local post office or anywhere that you would go locally in your own um, own backyard? And that, I thought, was important to, for us to understand. Well, very good. Well, the, we have that information available to us, and of course, we have to work with it because the COVID's not going away until uh, a, a confirmed uh, decent vaccine is out there and we start uh, knocking this down. But in the meantime, mm -hmm. it takes all this personal effort we have to do. And uh, we were just talking to the County Board of Health uh, earlier in the show about the basics that are still in play. Wash your hands, yeah. wear a mask, stay distanced, and be careful. Uh, and that... Uh, and that same chart that uh, we're looking at with regard to the frequency in the cities, we can see the spread. Yeah. The case demographics now are really clearly showing more in the uh, 20 through 29 years uh, age group and the 30 to 39 year age group. Uh, with the younger people and this being Labor Day weekend, what, what is the county's mm -hmm. position with regard to trying to keep things under control here? Well, you know, I, I did have some uh, conversation with the director from the Board of Health, and of course he expressed his concern and certainly reiterated what you just said. Make sure you wear your mask and wash your hands and keep your distance. Uh, don't get involved in big parties. Um, you know, just be, you know, continue to be diligent. They certainly had a spike after going to see that happen again. Um, you know, I wrote back to him and said, I, you know, I certainly understand and I know you're concerned, but this is a weekend where the weather is beautiful. All studies show that outdoors is where people need to be. So let's encourage people to be outdoors, you know, keep your distance, get on a bike, take a walk, do all the things that you can do outdoors. And that would be the healthiest thing that, that you know, we can tell people to do. And that he agreed. So that's how we left it for Labor Day weekend. And um, I'm thankful that the weather is holding up and that people can get outside. And as long as they are careful in what they do when they get close to other people, we'll be fine. You know, I think that, uh, and if you notice too, Nick, um, the weekly trends, if you look at that front page, the weekly trends, even though there are increases from week to week, from one week to the other, the overall increase is lessening. So the weekly trends are going down. So we certainly aren't peaking like we were in earlier July. The increases are much less, and uh, so are the deaths. So I think we are making some real ground here in controlling or at least managing uh, this virus, and we continue to need to be smart in what we do. I, oh, I agree. Uh, it, it's interesting playing with statistics because as we're talking, I'm looking at the county chart that shows total cases 
11,224. And then it has right. total presumed recovered, 9,755, which actually leaves presumably active cases in Cuyahoga County, a county of about 1.3 million people, having about a right. little over 1,400 active cases. Now, if we have actually the numbers 1,469 cases, if we do an average as what percentage of the total population well, the of 1.3 million, we're like point zero. Well, we're point one of one percent, so one thousandth of the population. So, it's it's very rare, but it can flare up in a moment, uh, like it's mm -hmm. been described to me. It's like having right. uh, well, being in Southern California during the driest season with high winds. If a hot spot develops, we have to put it out quickly, and because it's out there, it yeah. can jump up. But actually, we can feel pretty good about ourselves. I think this weekend. And uh, feel a little, so, little more relaxed, but but careful. I think in your numbers too, Nick, um, the eleven two twenty four subtracting the presumed recovered. I think you also need to subtract total deaths, and you also need to subtract total hospitalizations. I don't think that that is part of the presumed recovered. So that number goes down even lower. Um, goes down even further. But the, yes. the problem is it's still an invisible thing. We, we don't see it. it we're, we're talking to yes. Cuyahoga Council member Nan Baker, and we're talking about COVID and what's going on here in Cuyahoga County. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back after these words. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on The Advocate on WHK. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Welcome back, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with our final segment of The Advocate for tonight. And, and we're very pleased to have back with us again uh, Cuyahoga County Council Member Nan Baker. And we're talking about Cuyahoga County and the COVID. Uh, Nan, thank you, as always, for joining us. You're welcome. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to uh, be part of your program to try and um, make some sense out of what's going on in Cuyahoga County. And uh, certainly COVID-19 has... Uh, been uh, trying for all of us, and uh, I'm glad that I can share some of the numbers. Yes, it, it has been wearing us down. <laughs> I think we're, yes. a yes. lot of a lot of people are ready to throw their hands up. People are ready to throw right. their hands up, but let's dare not do that. Let's continue to uh, to live with this, and, and things are getting better. Uh, the uh, CDC last week uh, came back, and they asked all states to start making preparations for how to handle the vaccination program that would inevitably yeah. be coming. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah. e even though we don't have vaccine yet, uh, they're asking us to get going. Has that hit Cuyahoga County yet, the planning stage? You know, we uh, we just heard about it. So this is the Labor Day weekend. I'm sure I'll learn more uh, next week uh, when we're back. But um, I can't really, it's just too new for us to uh, really have gotten in, in the, you know, any depth of how we're going to manage that. But that is uh, such good news, and I think most people are waiting for some good news. You know, I hear some are a, a little uh, apprehensive of taking a vaccine that's new, so we may have some of that to overcome to make sure people feel that it's safe. But uh, I think that it's just wonderful news that we have something that we're not a victim anymore, that there is something that we have 
that can protect us. You know, the, the numbers that we talk about with the COVID-19, we have to make sure, as the health director, I'm sure would appreciate me saying, that there are asymptomatic cases out there that you, you we don't have a, you know, a number on. And that is, uh, we should be cautious of that too. It's not just those that we have tested and, and know about, but it's the unknown of the people that have it and don't know it, but could be spreaders. And that's... From from your position on the county council, where you're the lightning rod for all this latest information, is there any more insight we have about uh, asymptomatic spreaders, and is there anything we can do to uh, help recognize people who have been around other people or maybe an asymptomatic spreader? Is there any hope or help that uh, you heard that we have in discerning who these people are? Yeah, not really. I think that the challenge is that they don't have the symptoms. So it's hard to know that, you know, I guess that means that you or I or anyone we know could be asymptomatic and don't know it. The only thing I could share with you is that they say if you've been exposed to anyone who had COVID-19, um, you should contact your your doctor and let them know that. And if you're experiencing a fever or any other symptoms like difficult in breathing, um, you should also look for medical advice. Uh, they do say though that not everyone needs to be tested, that if you have mild symptoms, they're going to tell you to stay home and uh, recover there. So it's, um, you know, I, I think if you, suspect that you have it, you should probably try and get tested so that you can be part of the overall um, I think that's that important, yeah. yeah. But it's so the, so the only thing that helps is to know that, I, I would believe. Right. Overwhelmingly, um, most people have mild cases and are re able to recover at home. So it's, uh, it's really the exception that takes you to the hospital or, or you need a, a ventilator. Um, if you have other complications, that sometimes um, you're more of a victim to this virus. If you're elderly, which is what we saw in our um, nursing homes, that also can be compromising. So there are different symptoms or different conditions that people have that if they're not healthy to begin with, this could be more impactful. Um, but but both of all, if you want to be tested, you can go to uh, a variety of different um, drugstores. Um, you do have to make an appointment. You need to call ahead to make sure that they are, in fact, still testing. Testing uh, is always an issue of whether they have enough supplies. But um, most important thing is if you think you have the symptoms, call your doctor, let them know, get tested. If it's mild, stay home, quarantine for two weeks, and um, go on with your life. But that's uh, that's the best we can do right now with this. Well, with this we have virus. to stay, keep our situational awareness uh, wide wide open. And as we're talking about the spread of it, uh, I was looking at those same case demographics, and I see that our yes. senior citizens are are taking pretty good care of themselves. I. I see that the cohort between 60 and 69 represents only 11% of the total cases. Yeah. Those in the 70 to 79 cohort, uh, only 7%, and those 80 plus are 8%. So 
they're representing the smallest groups of people. So apparently the seniors are keeping their heads down and, and keeping their masks on. So let's, right. let's hope we don't lose any any more people, if, if at all possible. Uh, how else and is the county going? Uh, the, the, you know, the county is, is going, you know, as well as, as we can. I mean, certainly businesses like everywhere have been compromised uh, with the COVID-19 as far as um, the capacity to open, the capacity to serve people even at a 25 or 50% uh, allowance of being open. It's been very difficult uh, for our businesses right now to get through this, hopefully, uh, stage where we see a light at the end of the tunnel. Um, we did have, uh, we passed, uh, I serve on Board of Control, with, uh, which meets on Mondays at 11 o'clock, and we did approve $250,000 for our police through our sheriff's recommendation, uh, and Tri-C is the um, college that will be providing the training for our sheriff, um, our police officers, to get the same type of um, training as our sheriff's deputies get so that all municipalities will have all the same training and have an understanding um, of what it is that is expected of our police officers when put in some very difficult situations. So that is uh, taking place. The first 2,500 um, will be the first to be trained and then it will be rolling out after that. And that was uh, recommended by our sheriff and Tri-C has put together a nice program it is a new project, so we're all uh, anxious to see what the results are when it's completed and what our police officers feel if it had been helpful. Well, with regard to the county and all the different agencies that operate under the county, uh, have we adjusted to some type of normalized functioning uh, with the COVID now so that we, we have things that are happening with the, the welfare department and with uh, family services and, and that kind of thing? Everything, yes, is up and continuing. No services um, have been stopped. So the, the county is up and running. Some are located at their offices. Some are remote. All of county council is working remotely right now. We have not had an in-person council meeting since March. Uh, probably get back together uh, later this fall, but it's all been done by Zoom, all public. You know, anyone can, uh, come in and um, be part of that Zoom meeting, uh, ask questions ahead of time. Uh, so the services, what we did do though, the CARES Act, which the federal government allowed um, the state and county and even down to the cities to um, use funding to try and address some of the COVID-19 issues that exist out there. And even to our public buildings, we are using some of those dollars to upgrade all of our county buildings so that when you walk in, you feel safe that you have the distancing already in place. The ventilation is in a place where it um, uh, gives circulation of air. Um, you know, all the, the push buttons for um, elevators is being addressed. All those type of things that uh, will last us not only through this virus, but for any other mm -hmm. situation we may have. And that is taking place now. 
And we'll keep ourselves uh, nice and healthy as we enter the flu season on top of everything else. But uh, Nan Baker, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us uh, tonight. And uh, we'll have you next month. All right. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Nick. Take pleasure care. to have you as always. Thank you so much. And thank you for listening. We'll be back next week, same time, same station. So between now and then, have a great week and stay healthy and safe. Good night. And I sat and watched the Zanzibar sunset, sat and drank my fresh milk.